As Brian alluded to, I had the same conversation with Pastor Mike when he asked me to fill in for him in his absence today. I said, I'm going to make up to this church for all the times that you went long. I said, I'm going to get up there and say, well, dismissed. Have a great week. But then God had laid it on my heart that I better not do that. But you could tell him. He's going to listen to this. He knows that I'm... He knows that I'm going to tell you that, but I do promise that it won't be near as long, and you may gain a new appreciation for the wealth of knowledge that that man has about the Word of God. Um, but in that, we'll get kind of started here. Um, we had a wonderful Christmas, and we're moving into the end of 2013, and with that, traditionally, um, comes New Year's resolution time. I quit doing that a few years ago, just because I was horrible at them. And so uh, God laid it on my heart, you know, we should have some resolve. We should have some care about how we live our lives. We should look towards the future. So we're going to look a little bit about that. My sermon title, if you want to call it a sermon, it probably isn't. Um, But it's called the Revolution, the Resolution Revolution. Hopefully we can revolutionize the way we think about how our lives should be lived, the goals we set for ourselves into the coming year, and uh, how God wants us to play that out. First, I'm going to tell you a little story. Um, oh, this morning we're going to be in Philippians chapter 3. I think that Ben and Virginia have my back. I'm not as technologically savvy as Mike is. I did have my iPad, but I didn't have the right connector for it. So we'll, we'll trudge through this with just plain old-fashioned vocalizations. Um, but they have scripture up there. We'll get into that here in a minute. And I'm in Philippians chapter 3, the whole chapter, if you want to open your Bibles, if you have them with you. First, though, I'll tell you my story. So there's a little boy. And for Christmas this year, he got a brand new aluminum bat, shiny. He unwrapped it. He was so happy, and he could tell that package next to it was a baseball. So he opened it up, and he was done. He ran outside. He was going to go play some baseball here in the Laramie cold winter weather. Um, so he got out in the backyard. He hoisted that aluminum bat up on his shoulder, took his brand new shiny white baseball, threw it up in the air, and he screamed, I'm the best batter in the world, and he took a swing at that thing. And it fell into the ground, fell into the soft, snowy mud, ruined his brand new baseball. He didn't care. He picked that thing up and rubbed it off, hoisted that bat up on his shoulder again. Pitch number two, I'm the best batter in the world, and he took a swing, and same result. He missed. He didn't care. This little boy was bound and determined. He picked up that bat and the ball. Pitch number three, I'm the best batter in the world, and strike three. Now, most kids would have been frustrated. Maybe put a dent in his aluminum bat as well, but not this little boy. He picked up that ball. He said, I'm the best pitcher in the world. (laughs) So maybe there's some perspective in that story that maybe our goals are to be the best hitters when we're really pitchers. I don't know. But we'll see what God's word says about that. Um, Some fun statistics I looked up this week. New Year's resolutions in America. The number one resolution in America, lose weight. Lose weight. Number two was to become organized. Get your life organized so it was easier to live. And number three, have more money. Save more, make more, just have more money in general. Clear down on the list, number 10, was spend more time with family. I found some interest in that, that number one, two, and three are all about me. I want to look better and feel better. I want my life to be easier, and I want to have more money to do it with. And if my family's there when I'm still done with all this, great, I'll spend more time with them. Well, God's word says something else completely about this. He wants to be your number one. He wants your life with Jesus Christ to be your everything. And if your resolution doesn't fall in line with that, then we're missing the mark. And so how do we do that? We'll get into Philippians 3 and see what Paul has to say about that. But it has to do with putting your faith in Christ, forgetting where you screw up. It's okay. And then forgetting that list of, legalist list of, here's your rules, the rules that 
who are in the Old Testament fulfilled through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Not that the rules aren't good. They're great guidelines, and we should strive to live a holy life through that. But Christ knows we're going to fail, so he made the ultimate sacrifice. And without that gift of the Holy Spirit through his death and resurrection, we have no power to overcome the rules that were set for us anyway. And then we set a whole bunch of new rules for ourselves. I'm going to get skinnier this year. I said in the first service, I'm eating for four this year. I've got a two-year-old at home and a pregnant wife, so I'm just cramming the food in there. So I've got some uh, resolution to take care of this year as well. And there's not a bad, that's not a bad thing. Um, but let's jump into Philippians chapter 3. A little background first of all. Um, Philippi is a city in Greece. It's on the uh, east coast of Greece on the Mediterranean. It's in the western part of the Roman Empire at the time. And it's a city that has been given great honor. It's where retired generals in the Roman army and retired soldiers are sent to live out their life. Um, Philippi is not taxed by the Roman Empire. So it's got this special place in history, a special place in the region. And so Paul, in chapter 16 of Acts, has a dream that a man is crying out for help in this region. And Paul's like, I got to go. I don't know about you guys, but I've never had a dream. Where, like, I got to leave the country now. But Paul is just, he's so in tune with the Spirit of God that, first of all, he saw Jesus walking to, through the road to Damascus. And so when he sees God in a dream, he listens. He's got his attention. So Paul's like, cool, I'm going. So he goes to Philippi, and when he gets there, he finds that there's not a Jewish place to worship. Um, Paul is still full Jew. And so he is the fulfillment of all Jewish law and prophecy, that Paul is going to live out his days as a Jew and as a Christian, and they're united in him. So he still sacrifices. Uh, he, still, he still washes in the river. So he finds that the Jewish community is meeting down by the river in Philippi. He heads down there and runs into a woman named Lydia. We read about her in Acts. Um, Lydia... And Paul start talking, and Lydia, God captures Lydia's heart through Jesus Christ at the river. And she and her whole family give their life to Christ. And she invites Paul in, and Paul stays with her while he's in this town. And she's a woman of affluence, we find out, and so there's a lot of people involved in this salvation. And so Paul's ministering through the town, and he's kind of welcome because he knows Lydia. And uh, he runs into the little, I don't know if you guys remember the story of the little fortune teller girl who's possessed by a demon, and Paul casts out the demon, and Consequently, the people who own this little girl are very angered and have Paul beaten and arrested and thrown in jail. Um, it's also in Philippi that Paul is, while in jail, there's an earthquake, and God throws open the doors and releases the chains on him, and he's free to walk out. And the jailer's like, oh, man, I'm in so much trouble now. And Paul says, don't worry, I'm still here. I didn't go anywhere. And so Paul saves this jailer man as well, him and his whole family. So this is, this is all happening in Philippi, and this is a special place in Paul's life. We read in chapter 1 and 2 just the love he has for these people. And so Paul is exonerated once the Roman community finds out that Paul's also a Roman citizen, and they just beat and jailed him without a trial. They're like, please, get out of our town right now. We've had enough of you. We just made a huge mistake. Please don't tell anybody. We'll let you go free if you never come back. So this is Paul. Um, later, he writes the letter to the Philippians. Um, we read in chapter 2 as well that he's got a special a servant that's traveling with him from Philippi who grows gravely ill, and Paul's just, his heart's broken for this man. So he has true love for the people. And uh, he sends the man back to Philippi with this letter, we assume, and so that's how they're reading it. So chapters 1 and 2 in Philippians are about just Paul's immense love for the people. In chapter 3, he gets into the meat and potatoes. This is only a four-chapter uh, book, and it is all about, listen, there's people who are coming who I've been one of these people. They are here to persecute the church. They're here to tell you a list of things you need to be doing. They're here to point out all your flaws. Don't listen to them. You have grace in Christ Jesus. 
And that's where you need to focus your attention. That's where you need to focus your life. So we'll jump right into chapter 3, verse 1. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write these same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. So Paul's just reiterating what he's already told these people. He's writing them again, and he says it's a safeguard for you because it's not safe for him to be in this town. He's already been booted out once. He's in jail in Rome. It would be a horrible thing for him to come to them, so he's going to write this letter. He probably doesn't have paper and pen at the time in jail. Those things were not readily available to prisoners, so he says it's not that big a deal for me to write to you. It's more important that I get these words out to you. He says, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by the Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. So Paul's saying these people who are going to come to you and say, you need to follow the law by the letter. You're not a true follower. You can't be a true Christian until you become a true Jew. Paul's saying, that's rubbish. I was there, and it led me nowhere. You want to talk about, great, you want to talk about greatness? I've got it all. I knew the law. I followed it, and I persecuted anybody who didn't do it, and I was wrong. He goes in, and, and you know we call that legalism today. We see that in our own church. And I just pray, you know, I don't think that we are a legalist church who holds people accountable for every mistake they make. And I pray that we never become one. I pray that we are kind to visitors. We welcome folks who think differently than us. That we have a pastor who goes long, and that's okay. We have a guy who fills in, and he goes really short, and that's okay. But as long as we're proclaiming Jesus Christ in this place, that that's the kind of church that we are. The rest of it can go by the wayside. And Paul calls it rubbish here in a minute, so we can have that also, that, that viewpoint also. We should resolve, though. I think this is one thing that's important. We may not have a bunch of rules, but we should resolve to be more active in our church, and we should see it as our duty to be active in this place, and I'll get more into that here in a minute, but we'll move on. Verse 7 says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. All of our hard work, all of our best intentions, they're nothing without the grace of Christ Jesus that leads us to righteousness. And I think this is the first time he hits on the resolution revolution, that every list of things we could tell ourselves are going to make us better people in 2013 or 2014 um, are rubbish if they're not focused on what is it that Jesus says about who we should be? What is it that he's already done for me? And if I'm not pressing into that, then I'm missing the mark altogether. Not that it's a bad thing. Not that me losing some weight from eating for four would be a bad thing. I'd be a healthier version of myself. But if I'm doing it to look better for my wife, well, then that's not fulfilling God's role for me. My wife should love me for who I am just the way that Christ loves me. I should love you because of who you are, because Jesus is in you. That's what we're called to do. And so it's not a bad thing to have more money. But if it causes us to sin, that may be a problem. And if our focus is on having more money, we're ignoring that our daily walk with Jesus Christ is going by the wayside, then I think we're missing the mark there as well. So the resolution, revolution comes into play 
in that all that we do should be focused on the gift that Jesus has given us through his, that God has given us through his son. And if we're not counting victory over our fleshly desires as rubbish in order to glorify Jesus with the desires of our hearts, then all of our resolutions fail before they even start. And Paul gets into it here in a minute that we need to forget what we failed at in the past. You can't go forward and constantly look ahead into what Jesus has for us while you're being dragged down by the rock of your past. And Christ says there's no condemnation for those who are in him. And the letters of condemnation have been nailed to the cross so that we can forget those things anyway. Um, and I'm getting preachy, but this whole, this whole thing came about as preaching to myself um, that I've got work to do. You know, I've got addictions to let go of. And I've got bad attitudes to let go of. And I've got anger issues. And I'm just a human being who is not that very good at life. But thank God, by grace, through Jesus Christ, I'm worth something. And he lets me know that in his word. He lets me know that in prayer and in fellowship with you guys, that I have value and I have worth. So how do we do this? How do we, how do we get into this revolution? Um, verse 9, I see that the power for change comes through Jesus Christ and the resolution or the, the righteousness that comes through God. So there's our power. He's already given it to us through salvation. He's given it to us through death on the cross and the Holy Spirit coming to dwell with us and in us. We have the power for change and to overcome our earthly desires, the fleshly things that get in our way, the muck and the mire, the things that frustrate us. We've got power to overcome those things. We'll move on. Verse 10 says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of the resurrection and the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. That's a call that is hard to swallow. And so somehow attaining the resurrection from the dead. Now that part I can get behind. Now that I've already obtained all this, I have already arrived at my goal, and I press on to take hold of that for which Jesus Christ took hold of me. I love this passage. Paul sets the bar very high, that we are to suffer in the way that Christ suffered. That we are to, you know, he, tem- he was tempted for 40 days and 40 nights, not eating, out in the desert all alone, and overcame that. I don't know about you, but I can't say that I would have has succeeded. Even with the Holy Spirit walking by me side by side, that's not something I can say that I would have done. But Paul is calling, and Jesus Christ is calling, for us to look at how he lived his life and to emulate that. And it was not easy. And it's, he suffered, and it hurt. And he said no to the things. I'm sure Jesus got hungry. I'm sh- I mean, he was full human. I'm sure he found women attractive. I'm sure he found... I, you know, he, he made water into wine. I'm sure he would have not minded having a whole barrel full of it. I don't know. But Jesus Christ was God and said no to the fleshly things because he knew to be one with the Father, those things had to go by the wayside. And so as we stumble through life and as the temptations come, we need to be aware and uh, press into Christ Jesus so that we can focus on having that relationship with him going forward. And I think the tradition of resolution comes right in line with Scripture, that we put aside the fleshly desires so that we can have fullness of grace with Jesus. And without the Holy Spirit, this journey just isn't even possible. Um, Be encouraged, though. Paul says, not that I've already obtained all this. He wants to be like Christ. He wants to suffer in this world. I don't know if he wants to, but he's called to, and he's willing to. And he, Paul, the author of over half the New Testament, says, I haven't attained all this. But he encourages us moving on into verse 13. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have yet taken hold of this. But one thing I do know, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards a goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I see this just beautiful picture of Paul says, I haven't even grabbed hold of it yet. 
But Jesus Christ has grabbed a hold of me, and that's enough. And we can reach. We're constantly striving to reach out and grab that prize that's ahead of us by putting aside the sin of this world and striving through the Holy Spirit to find righteousness and to find purity. And we can't grasp it. Not even Paul. I mean, we think of Paul just being this saint. I mean, he saw Jesus in a dream. He was blinded. He was led blind to a man who gave him the sight back. Like, you think you'd get it. And he still isn't capable of just putting away all of his sinly ways. Paul said, those things I don't want to do, I do. And things I don't want to do, I Things I do want to do, I don't do. So he's got this struggle that all of us deal with, all of us, that are powerless to hold on to Jesus. But thank God his hand is underneath us, holding on to us. So that as we go through life, he's got us, regardless. And he says, don't look back. Don't look back at your failures. Just press ahead onto the prize that is Christ Jesus. You're going to fail. There's no doubt about that. You're not going to hit the mark every time. So pick yourself up. Keep looking forward to what Christ has for us, and our prize is to be heaven-bound with him. I mean, that just gets me excited. That's a resolution I can live for every day. So on January 2nd, when you've set your New Year's resolutions and failed at them miserably on the 1st, at least that's what I typically do, um, just forget about it. The 2nd's your new day, and if you fail on the 2nd, the 3rd's your new day. God didn't say, get it right, and then I'll come meet you. He said, I've got you. I'm holding you, all while you're trying to get it right. And if you never do, I still got you. And I'll come back for you with my other hand, I guess. And we'll take you up to heaven with me. So that's encouraging stuff to me. Um, The exciting thing is, too, through overcoming the flesh, I think we expect and we should feel better. I think we should see results. If God's going to give me the power to focus on him, you know, so so I, I profess that I uh, have an eating problem. I've gained a little bit, maybe 30 pounds since I've been married. And uh, if I'm pressing into what Jesus wants for me, he'll take away whatever reasons it is that I'm filling my life with food. And whatever it is that you're filling your life with instead of him, he'll reveal that to you. And that's what the, res- the resolution's all about. God, I've got these things I want to give up. And there's nothing wrong with that. He'll empower you to overcome them. So I don't need to be afraid of having another baby and a crazy run, two-year-old running around. Those are things I don't need to be afraid of. God gave me those gifts. He's going to take care of them for me. I don't need to be afraid of getting up here and preaching his word because he's going to give me the spirit to do so. I don't need to be afraid of my job not being as fun as it needs to be every day because God gave it to me. I need to use it for him. So he's given me all these wonderful tools in my resolution. They need to be about him. You know, getting organized is not a bad thing. My wife knows I could use that skill as well. It would probably help our marriage, so maybe I need to resolve to be more organized. I don't know. But he is in all that. We just need to open our eyes and look for it. God's grace isn't about where we've been. It's about where we're going. And he will help us to get there. Verse 15 says, All of us, then, who are mature should think this way, uh, should take such a view on things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Now this took me some, some struggle to think about. What is he trying to say here? That if we're mature, then, well, we're, if we're mature, we should be aware that we fail. We should be aware that we haven't quite grasped it yet. We should be mature enough in our faith to know to keep pressing forward. We should be mature enough to have grace for people who are struggling. And if you're a new Christian and you're thinking, God, I accepted you and my life doesn't look that much different, just know that's okay. If God captured your heart, you're on this journey with him. He's holding you. You might be slipping down a slippery rope trying to climb up to him, but he's got you this whole time. So just let go. Start pressing into his word pressing into prayer with him. He wants to talk to you, and he's listening to you. And God has a heart for you, 
just as he asked you to have a heart for him, he's got a huge heart for you. He loves you more than you could understand. And so we continue to press on. I remember being a, I was saved at maybe five or six. I can't remember exactly when. I was a preacher's kid growing up. Uh, my dad's not still a preacher, but I was a preacher's kid growing up in church. And I remember this uh, traveling evangelist came through Children's Church, and he was telling us, he told us, everybody reach under your seat. And there's a whole bunch of kids, maybe 30 or 40 of them, and the kid next to me and one behind me, a couple up in front, they pulled out these dollar bills from under their seat. I was like, what? I got gypped on this deal. I sat in the wrong seat. And I uh, didn't quite understand it other than that I was resentful that I didn't have some money. He explained that it was a good thing to give that money to offering. It was a gift from you, and so it wasn't necessarily yours to start with. But just as God gives us the gift of his son, Jesus, just as you didn't know what seat you sat on in the first place, God's gift is like that dollar bill. You didn't ask for it. You didn't know it was there, but it's there waiting for you. And it just, for some reason, that clicked with me. I got it. Like, oh, here I am. I've raised a, I pray every night. My, God, my dad's a preacher, and I hear him talk about Jesus all the time. But God's got this gift for me of salvation, and I took it. And I lived my life, and I didn't understand why I needed it. I mean, I, as I mentioned in the first service, I'm sure my mom knew why I needed it, but I thought I was pretty good, and you know, I didn't have all these sins I heard preached about in church or anything until about the age of 18 when the world slapped me upside the face. And uh, I was tempted with everything you could possibly fall into and just succumb to it and got lost. And the whole time, God's holding me. He's got me in his hand, walking me through college and young adulthood and just failing miserably and addiction and pain and suffering and running from him. The whole time, he's walking me through it. And so I understand that at five and six, when God captured my heart, that it was a lifelong journey, that I was going to be in with him. And as I've matured in my faith and finally stopped running <laughs> away from him and started running to him, that bond with him is the same that it was when I was five and six years old, that he's there for me, that he can take hold of me and walk me through the muck and the mire of life that's going to make it hard to focus on him. And so as mature Christians, we take that viewpoint. And if you don't have it right now, we'll just pray for you. We'll just pray for you. Don't get frustrated. Be patient with yourself. Be patient in your faith that the Lord's got you. He's got a hold of you tight. And your resolution then should be to push into him. Push into him to know him better. And then lead examples for other people. That's kind of what verse 17 gets into. So we'll finish out chapter 3 here. Paul says, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just, have you have, just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I, have, as I have often told you before and now tell you again with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. We eagerly await for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that we will be like his glorious body. What an awesome resolution. I'm just going to press in. He'll take away this uh, 30 pounds of baby weight and give me a much better body anyway if I patiently await for him. doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It doesn't mean I need to beat myself up, though. He says, forget your past. Forget what you've done. You know, there's some lessons to be learned in your past. I understand that. So get those lessons and move forward. Quit trying to relive them and let the condemnation that the enemy brings on you beat you up. Just let it go. God has glory waiting for you. He has a perfect body waiting for you. He has a perfect mindset waiting for you. Suffering will be gone, and he's going to be there to hold us all the way through it. So give your race resolution to him. I'm not saying don't try to lose weight. I'm not saying don't try to save some more money. All those things are wonderful. But they're rubbish if the focus isn't on Jesus Christ 
and how you can make his name famous in this place and in your jobs, in your families, uh, in your community, to your neighbors. That should be paramount in our lives. And I'm preaching to myself here. I'm just as guilty and I'm just as horrible at this as the next guy. But I'm not going to be beat up anymore. I'm going to turn my back on the past and how I failed and start looking at how we're going to do things different. So that's about all I have for you, but I want to offer you two challenges this morning. One, how can your resolution affect Laramie's First Christian Church? How can your role in this place change or become effective or just exist? And to do that, I want to focus a little bit on um, Mike and Raina handed out a questionnaire to some deacons that really caused a stir. It was challenging. It was difficult to understand. But the premise of it was, and we should all do this, not just deacons, what gifts has God given me? What talents do I have? What are my hobbies? What do I like to do? Because if you can answer any of those questions, that's what God's given you to use in this place. It might be hunting, Walda. <laughs> There's nothing better than two men out with guns walking around in silence, experiencing God's great land. I mean, he talks to you out there. It may be that you're a thinker. You know, we're the body of Christ. We don't go anywhere without our feet. We need people who are movers and shakers to get us going places. We don't do anything without our hands. If you're a worker, we need some work done around this place. If you're a hugger, we need people who need love around here. If you just need to reach out and touch people, we need some hands in this place. We need some brains. We need some thinkers. So if you're a smart guy, you've got some savvy, we need your brain. If you're a heart, if you're a heart person, we need your heart. We need you to care for people in this place. And whatever it else it is, I mean, the body, we need people to listen, just to listen. We need people to look out for us. Whatever it is that you think that you've got, just give it to the Lord and give it to First Christian Church because we need it. And then in your personal lives, how can you press into the Lord? Maybe you haven't opened this book in a while. I challenge you to do that. Um, maybe you haven't prayed in a while. I challenge you just to quiet yourself. And don't even start with talking. Just quiet yourself and listen, and God will be there to, to talk to you. And then fellowship with one another. Find people to get in a small group with or have lunch with and talk about your faith. You start to understand you have more questions than answers, and that's, that's what God wants from you. He wants you to look for him and seek him, and he'll be there to find you. So we'll say a word of prayer. Um, I just want you to be encouraged that your resolution is to find Jesus, and he's going to find you too. He's already got a hold of you. Um, if you haven't found him yet, just know that he's looking for you. And he wants you to turn around and find him. And if you're ready, if you know that God's been laying it on your heart to just give your life over to him. He's captured your heart and you're ready. Um, come talk to me or Pastor Mike when he gets back this week or any of the elders in the church. We'd be happy to pray with you and uh, just begin that walk of life with Jesus Christ. And as I told you, I'm letting you out early, so that's your Christmas present from First Christian Church. <laughs> um, but let's say a word of prayer and then we'll uh, sing our last song and do our our unity song as well. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for a place that allows a strange guy like me to get up here and talk and, and preach truth through your word. Thank you for giving me words to say and uh, a room full of ears to hear. And Lord, we just ask that you reveal your plan to us as we walk alongside you. Never let us go. Continue to hold us as your word promises you will. And make us faithful. Make us a church that just glows in the presence of Jesus Christ that echoes down the streets, that flows out the doors and windows here with love and for a heart for this community. And Lord, we thank you and we humbly just offer this day to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.